0: Hello, you're listening to Linguistically Aware, a spoken word program about the ways we use, understand, and think about languages. This episode will be devoted to what we call speech-language pathology or speech-language therapy. I'm not a speech-language therapist, I'm not a speech-language pathologist, and I know I hate when I say I'm not something, but let me share my wisdom with you. I don't like that saying myself. However, I am a phonetician and speech-learning pathologists take our classes, take phonetics, take linguistics because it's a very important part of speech-language pathology. And I would like to share some knowledge of phonetics and how it relates to speech-language pathology today with you. It needs to be emphasized how important the work of speech-language pathologists is. It needs to be stressed that they are doing a great service to our children mainly and to adults and they are um, experts in what they are doing. They have to go through a rigorous training and we want them all the best. So without further ado, I'll ask you to stay with me. Because you are at the right place at the right time at CJSW 90.9 FM, you are on the traditional territories of all the people who make their homes in the 3D7, Region 3, Alberta. The knowledge and skills that SLT, or speech-language therapy, students must acquire in order to practice competently and safely are very wide-ranging in nature. They include knowledge of a number of linguistic, medical, and scientific disciplines. In order to characterize communication breakdown in children and adults, SLTs must understand and accurately apply terms and concepts in each of the following linguistic disciplines phonetics, phonology, morphology, syntax, semantics, pragmatics, and discourse. In isolation, knowledge of these linguistic disciplines, of course, cannot achieve an accurate characterization of um, communication disorder. SLTs must additionally understand the medical causes of a communication disorder, such as etiology, for example, um, which is studied by etiology how prevalent the disorder is, which is epidemiology, and the presence of any malformation of the organs of speech, which is uh, something that anatomy is concerned with, and any impairment of their movement or function, which is a subject matter of physiology. Um, Knowledge of other medical disciplines, such as uh, psychiatry, schizophrenia, right? then uh, motor speech disorders, which we will be talking about today, such as dysarthria um, and the vocal pathologies that can cause dysphonia, are very, very important. All of these together make a whole, right? But students of uh, SLT can testify uh, to how much time they spend taking modules in linguistics and so they should right linguistics is well and truly a cornerstone of slt it is simply not possible to understand certain speech of a child without the knowledge of phonetics to begin with phonetics is the study of how speech sounds are perceived and produced Phonetics can be divided into articulatory phonetics, acoustic phonetics, and perceptual phonetics. The articulatory phonetics studies the way speech sounds are produced. So what mechanisms we use in order to produce speech sounds? Acoustic phonetics studies the way sound is transmitted through air, right from a source to the perceiver and perceptual phonetics studies the way we perceive speech sounds what happens in our ears and how ears relate the vibrations of air to the brain and what happens in the brain how do we perceive speech sounds that's what perceptual phonetics studies however In this podcast, we will mainly be concerned with articulatory phonetics and we will break down the ways we can produce certain speech sounds. We will mainly use English speech sounds because we are familiar with those. But essentially, speech language or speech learning pathology is cross-linguistic it is not pertaining only to english there are experts in this area in every single language in the world of course if they have good education but some knowledge also comes from uh, experience and slt experts can tell you that for sure i would like to start with consonants consonants are sounds such as t Y, J, K, G, right, and they are different from vowels. Vowels are sounds in language, such as a, e, e a, u, i, e, and so on. Consonants can be described in terms of dimensions, dimensions of articulation. So, first of all, what we need to produce a sound or any speech sound, we need some kind of airstream mechanism. We need air. We need the flow of air. And most of the sounds in the world's languages are produced by exhaling, and they are produced, of course, uh, with our lungs. That is why we call these sounds pulmonic aggressive. So pulmonic aggressive sounds are most of the sounds of the world. And English has only pulmonic aggressive sounds, meaning that air is being exhaled when we are producing these speech sounds. That would be the first dimension. So that is something that we need for each speech sound, and that is something that we need for consonants, right? Now, the second dimension, as our air is going through uh, lungs, through trachea, and further, it's reaching the larynx part. The larynx part is that part of your throat where you can feel the a little bit of protuberance especially men can feel it because of the uh, what's called the Adam's apple but also women uh, can feel it if they are if they touch this part with their fingers so this part is called the larynx and inside of this part if you touch it with your two fingers for example um index finger and the thumb you can feel the vibration of the vocal folds as you're speaking let's try to say some sentence there and try and touch the this part of your throat with these two fingers and let me know right are you feeling the vibrations of course this is what we call phonation but essentially the vocal folds can vibrate inside or they cannot or meaning they do vibrate or they do not vibrate depending on a speech sound so they're completely open and air can go through unobstructed when we are making voiceless sounds such as t such as s such as k such as mm, right so all of these sounds are voiceless, and we don't need or we don't feel the vibrations of the vocal folds. If the sounds are voiced, then vocal folds are vibrating, and at that part of your throat, you will feel heavy vibrations. Try uh, one technique. For example, we can do uh, we can start saying f like and then switch to v, f, v, f, v, while touching our vocal folds or while touching our larynx right because we cannot touch vocal folds they're inside but we can at least feel the vibrations of the vocal folds we can do the same trick with s, z, 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 right so we can uh, say some sounds are voiceless some sounds are voiced the third dimension of production of consonants or just pronunciation of consonants is what we call a place of articulation a place of articulation denotes where we place our tongue and lips in order to produce a sound so for example imagine that you are producing the sound t this sound is produced when we are placing the tip of our tongue to the alveolar ridge. This is a region be, be, behind our teeth, right? So place the tip of the tongue behind your teeth, teeth and you will uh, feel that that is where t is situated. Right, a speech sound t. when we are making a speech sound yeah, for example, we are raising the body of our tongue up to the roof of our mouth, but the body of the tongue is not touching the roof of the of the mouth; it's just approximating this uh uh the roof of the mouth, which means that it's very close to it. But not as close to make some turbulence in, uh, when the air is going through. It's, it sounds more like a, a, a vowel, such as E, yeah, 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 right? So it's very similar to E in, this, in that respect. Um, so, so far, we had pulmonic aggressive airstream mechanism, so air coming out of our lungs. Uh, voiceless and voice sounds in terms of phonation and place of, of articulation where we are making these uh, sounds for example "b" is made with both lips right uh, the next dimension that we have is what we call a manner of articulation meaning the the way in which we constrict our mouth and organs in the mouth, such as tongue and lips and so on and so forth, in order to make a sound. For example, for a stop sound, such as T, such as D, such as G, we have a complete obstruction of the airflow at one point. This complete obstruction of the airflow means that we have place a tongue somewhere that and or lips, right? That would completely seal our mouth and not allow air to escape for a brief period of second, right? And we call these speech sounds such so as T, D, G, K, B, P stop sounds, right? Now, as I said, for example the sound is what we call approximant. this sound it does not make a complete op- uh, obstruction of the of the airflow and the degree of separation between the tongue and the mouth is uh relatively low right it's approximant. so That's why we call this sound approximate. Uh, Within the the manner of articulation, there are three maybe more important, there are three dimensions that are also important. One is retroflexion. For example, R sound. R in English is retroflex because you're curling the tip of the tongue. Then the other is nasality, whereby there are certain nasal sounds in in words languages in english not so much if you produce this uh the word tank and you don't produce the last part you will hear that your vowel is what we call nasalized meaning that the airflow is going through nose not only mouth so you will hear that is nasal, right? And many speakers of English produce these sounds. For example, they say, um, I sp- I spent some night in tank, right? That would be a little bit nasal speech, right? Um, which is a nonsense sentence, but it uh, proves the point. And final uh, they mention. Within the manner of articulation dimension um, is laterality. So the airflow can be obstructed with your tongue if you are if you place a tongue in that way so that it does not allow the airflow to go through the middle, through the central area, but to the lateral area, we call these sounds laterals, and these sounds are err. And all l in English, right? So now we have mechanisms. We have the machinery for ex- describing every single speech sound in English and uh, across linguistically in different languages. They can be voiceless, voice, they can be maybe alveolar, they can be stop sounds, they can be retroflex they could be central or lateral and so on and so forth and this is important for a speech uh, language or speech learning pathologist to know because it explains to them it it gives them a better indication of uh, how children and adults should produce sounds And that's the most important part of their knowledge. They need to know how speech sounds are produced. And after that, they can think about the mechanisms of um, treatment of the, of certain disorder. Why is this important for speech language pathologists or therapists? This is important because usually, when there is some kind of disorder or illness or difficulty, there is some kind of uh, possibility that certain sounds have not been acquired very well, right? And that children need help when with shaping these sounds. And while they are growing, they need help with... um, changing these sounds into proper sounds right into the sounds that we have in English and uh, most of the time some of the sounds such as la and r are difficult and uh, w as well for children and uh, it's important to raise awareness with children of how they can produce them and what they can do. Some sounds with children are difficult to produce. Um, if they are rounded, for example, a little bit like SH in English, which is a, a bit rounded. So you're rounding so, a lip sometimes. Um, then there are other sounds such as Y um, and W and R and S and, and, and so on. That can cause issues as well. There are also what we call interdental sounds such as th and the, which are quite often used in English, but some children might have problems with those. Anyways, these are some of the, um, relatively simple cases of disorders or just difficulties to be more precise. There are much greater or much more severe uh, disorders out there those disorders usually happen when there is a disconnect between the instructions from the brain and the motoric movements that uh, our articulators our tongue our lips our um dangly thing in the back of the tongue called uvula and our vocal folds can make. So uh, there is a disconnect between our processing, our central unit, which we call brain, and those motoric movements. And we cannot, for example, sometimes move muscles that we want to move because of this connect. Imagine a cable, and imagine that I disconnect, I cut a cable with scissors. There would be a disconnect. There would no be no light anymore. There would be no TV, for example, anymore if the cable is of the TV, and so on and so forth. So, I believe that uh, this disconnect is what causes the disorder to appear. Now, one of the disorders and weaknesses that is common in individuals is called dysarthria dysarthria is a muscle weakness which is usually caused by neurological injury in dysarthria muscles become weak or difficult to control and the injury includes the injury to central and peripheral nervous system but not only to these systems also to cranial nerves these are the nerves in our face right that uh, give the instructions to the muscles and muscles do the rest of the job Uh, that's dysarthria and the common causes of dysarthria are strokes brain injury Parkinson's disease MS Huntington's disease and so on and so forth. Some of the signs and symptoms of dysarthria are slow and slurred speech or it can be a very rapid speech that is difficult to understand, then difficulty of moving the tongue and abnormal speech rhythm. So all of these are kind of disconnect, uh, present a disconnect between the instructions and the motor functions, meaning that we don't have to have just a uh, scissors that uh, cut the, the the cord, but we can have also a uh, TV that's gone mad, right? That's playing all sorts of channels at once, which is not its uh, primary uh, purpose. Um, so that sometimes happens with speech because of this um, uh, irregular irregularity of um, instruction giving to uh, the motors motor or motoric part of our speech so that is dysarthria and one of the ways to treat dysarthria is by slowing is by having the patient slow down their speech so learning how to slow down your speech when you are not sure what you're saying when you are Um, talking nonsense is very important. Then using more breath to speak louder. So sometimes it's very important and essential to inhale, right? So take a deep breath and start talking again. Then making your muscles stronger by practicing, right? By moving lips and tongue more, make your muscles stronger, which can um maybe result in this uh connect again right with the nervous system and that's how you can treat dysarthria so this is just an example of one of the um muscle weaknesses and um disorder that is usually uh Given to SLT uh, experts, another uh, very important um, movement or motor disorder. But this time, this is a motor disorder. It's called apra- apraxia. A in this case means without, and praxis means action. So, without an action. However, this is still not a muscle issue. It is neurologically based. So this is a complete disconnect and difficulty in which we, uh, speakers, are, are initiating volitional movement so they know what to say, but they cannot get the motor started to do the movement. For example, after a lot of trial and errors, an individual might say something without the issue. So might say, a whole phrase, oh my God, or maybe some kind of obscenity as well, Um, very fast and very properly and correctly. But if they want to repeat this phrase, they will keep struggling because there is this disconnect between what we need to say and um, the the instructions from our brain. Um, As I said, an individual might often say without a problem a whole phrase, oh my God. But struggle to repeat it and the longer the words and and phrases the harder it becomes for an individual um, there were many studies on apraxia and uh, usually uh, the greatest difficulty that children had were with diphthongs for example the diphthong uh, such as I was reduced to a Um, as in by they would say just "ba," right as in um, hi they would say just ha right and many speech language therapists would work with these children or adults on trying to produce the full diphthong and they would show them how they can do this well by knowing the Uh, the mechanisms of how to produce I sound, which is what we do in phonetics, by knowing that speech-language therapists are instructing and helping individuals heal, right? The last language disorder that is quite severe and critical after a certain stroke or head injury, or brain tumor, or dementia, is called aphasia. There are two main types of aphasia. The first one is Broca's aphasia, and the second one is Wernicke's aphasia. All humans have two hemispheres of their brain, right? And one hemisphere, uh, presumably the left hemisphere, controls language. Uh, How do we know this? Well, in 1861, a scientist called Paul Broca studied a patient who lost the ability to use all words but a single word, tan, during, um, during their lifetime, right? And paul broca during the post-mortem study of that patient's brain you know in that period uh, they would have to wait for a person to die in order to study their brain Um, they discovered that um, there was a large lesion or lesion in the left hemisphere at the region what is now known as broca's area scientists today but largely believe that Broca's area is responsible in part for naming objects and coordinating speech gestures. Patients with Broca's aphasia often have challenges finding the proper word and producing it, uttering it. And Broca's aphasics often know what to say, but they cannot and they have difficulties finding proper words it happens to us sometimes in English right or in any language but their struggle is much more severe and significant and you may take some uh, you may Google it out it's um, a huge struggle um, just behind the Broca's area near the auditory cortex there is an area called Wernicke's area and this area is responsible for language comprehension. That's where the brain attaches meaning to speech sounds. Damage to Wernicke's area impairs the patient's ability to comprehend language. So they cannot understand language. Even though they can produce it, uh, they still produce some nonsense just because they cannot understand language. And that's where this meaning and uh, production a relationship is essential right how common is aphasia well around 1 million people in the USA are diagnosed with aphasia one-third of stroke survivors are diagnosed with aphasia even more prominent than MS uh, obviously language improvement can be achieved through speech therapy Uh, Luckily enough, other parts of brain take over some functions which we call brain plasticity. So brain can adapt to this um, insufficiency, right? So this to this um, impairment and it can uh, sort of mobilize other parts in order to uh, compensate for the loss of this part how well or to what extent, that depends on an individual. And SLP and experts in neurologists are trying all sorts of mechanism t- mechanisms to treat aphasia to encourage, of course, brain plasticity. So you cannot heal it anymore, but you have to encourage play, brain plasticity. And some of the ways and methods that they're doing this with are transcranial direct current stimulation or transcranial magnetic stimulation. So they use some kind of magnetic stimulations to the brain in order to encourage brain plasticity. What are the morals of the story? Well, crucial types of knowledge that SLT experts need to have are phonetics, are the types of disorders, and psychological consequences of these disorders, Over, most of the time, these patients uh, suffer from isolation and def- depression, and that can have some serious ecological consequences. Actually, this is the topic we we need to discuss more and raise awareness about because it's important and it's uh, surrounded and we're surrounded by it. Thank you very much for listening to me. I uh, hope you learned something and I hope you had some fun. If you want to find out something more about the podcast, you can visit cjsw.com. If you want to su- find out something more about myself, you can visit dusannikolic.com. Thank you very much. And stay on this frequency. You know you're at the right place.